Well, have you noticed that uh, American people like to be rewarded? I believe it is just a fact of our nature. One major credit card company boasts that they give 5% cash back on all purchases with no annual fees. And that particular company just last year spent over $100 million in that one year alone on advertising. Why would they do that? Because they know Americans, even when they're spending money, want to feel like they're being rewarded. My health insurance company also is into rewards. You can actually rack up credits, rack up points by getting your annual physical and various checkups, by getting certain shots and immunizations, and by regular physical workouts that get recorded there on your portal. And so if you practice these good things, at the end of the year, you can actually earn up to several hundred dollars worth of gift cards that you can spend at places of your choice. The company is in to rewarding their clients. And have you noticed that Starbucks and thousands of other companies are really into giving rewards? If you use the app at Starbucks, you get points for every purchase that you make, coffee drinks, uh, other kinds of drinks, uh, food items, etc. You get rewarded for that. Now, I'm not a very good customer these days at Starbucks. I, I mostly these days am drinking my own cold brew at home and, and my own French press coffee at home, and that's cool. So I earn points really, really slowly. But when I finally get like 150 points so I can get the drink of my choice, I pull up to that window at Starbucks with pride. And I announce, I'm going to cash in a reward today, baby. And they usually congratulate me on that, you know. And so I order a venti espresso frappuccino with oat milk, no whip, and three affogato shots tenderly drizzled over the top of that drink. Now, if I were paying for that particular drink, it would be well over $10 for that one drink. But I'm not paying. It's a reward, man. And so I savor every single drop of that drink. I love rewards. Well, I'll bet the LA Rams football players love rewards. Each player got $300,000 as a bonus reward for winning the Super Bowl last Sunday. Now, we see that kind of money and we go, that is amazing. But that, that's what they received. It was a great game, very close, well played. But the winners got $300,000 per player with the hope that they'll come back next season with the same winning ways. So if you're a leader in any sphere of life, I want you to know there is a, what's been called the cardinal rule of behavioral change. And here it is. It basically states what gets rewarded gets repeated. 
what gets punished gets avoided. So whether you're a coach, a CEO of a company, a teacher in a classroom, a parent, a pastor, a teammate, a leader in any sphere, listen, you want to be sure that you're rewarding the behaviors that you want to see repeated because it's just a rule of life. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Well, long before modern behavioral gurus were buzzing about what gets rewarded, did you know, did you know that God had built this law of reaping and rewards into his universe? He set it into motion, and what's more, he clearly communicated about it in his word, the Bible. Now, last week, we kicked off this series that we're calling Every Moment Matters, and just by way of review, we looked last week at the two questions on Judgment Day. I just want to review those with you very quickly because they're unbelievably important and, and it's important to me that we're very clear about what they mean. Number one is the savior question. And number two, the stewardship question. I'm calling them Cliff's Notes on the Bible. Those are the only questions you're responsible for on Judgment Day. But trust me, there's a lot there. Now, the savior question is what have I done with Jesus? His atoning death on the cross for my sins his bodily resurrection, his offer of salvation by grace through faith. Have I rejected that or have I repented of my sin and of ruling my own life and have I yielded my life and trusted my life to Jesus Christ as my Lord? He is Lord whether I've accepted him as such or not. But when we answer the Savior question, what we're doing is saying, I submit my life to you, Jesus, and I trust in your finished work at the cross as the only basis for the forgiveness of my sins and new life in you. And when that happens, our names are written in his book, in the Lamb's book of life, and heaven is our destiny. So the Savior question has everything to do with our entrance into heaven. The second question, the stewardship question, ooh, I want to be so clear on this, has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with our entrance into heaven. The stewardship question, rather, has everything to do with our level of rewards in heaven. And that's really what we're talking about today. I hope there's no confusion about that. We can never do enough good things to earn our entrance into heaven. That is accomplished by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But today, we're talking about the stewardship question. Now, our Lord Jesus and the writers of Scripture who were inspired by God, they said a lot about this. In fact, if you doubt that statement, I challenge you to do a study of your own. I think you will be shocked at how much the Bible says about rewards in heaven. In fact, I'm going to make a prediction. I think some of us are going to walk out today with our minds blown at all that God says about rewards and the implications of that. 
I believe when we realize that, it's a game changer, honestly. It puts pep in our step, it puts passion in our prayers, and it puts sacrifice into our service. So if you have a Bible of your own, I invite you to open it to Luke 14. And we're going to begin by looking at an episode where Jesus was invited to a party. I'll bet most of us like parties, don't we? Some of you are party animals, to be honest about it. Well, Jesus actually went to quite a few parties, believe it or not, but he tended to use those as teachable moments. And in this particular banquet or meal or party, it, it was being thrown by a prominent Pharisee in the town, and Jesus uses this moment where all the big muckety-mucks are gathered, all these important people jockeying for position, and he used it to give a bit of advice. I'm reading now from verse 10, 10 in chapter 14 of Luke. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. And then I really like verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself <clears throat> will be exalted. Awkward. That, my friends, is an awkward moment at the party. But Jesus wasn't finished yet. Now he turns his attention to the Pharisee, the host, who had invited him into his home. And he says in verse 12, then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. Now, I'm sure that some of the people hearing this are thinking, isn't that the point? Don't we want to get invited back? Isn't that the way social etiquette works? It's a quid pro quo system. Of course you invite people, hoping, hoping they will invite you back and that this will actually help you in some way. It's just the way society works. Jesus said, not so fast. Don't invite your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. Now, Jesus wasn't chiding this Pharisee for his generosity. I mean, it was actually a cool thing that he had thrown a party for his friends. Instead, I think Jesus is trying to say, look, there's something better than temporal rewards. <clears throat> he was focusing his attention beyond the thank yous that his guests could give him down here. He was teaching something about eternal rewards. I read on in verse 13, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus is saying here, gang, there's something better than temporary rewards. And what's better is the rewards we get in the next life. They're even better than getting rewarded now. Now, lest anybody misunderstand, let, let's all just have a moment here and acknowledge that it's really great when you get some kind of reward here and now. 
I've already acknowledged to you that I love my Starbucks reward that I occasionally get. Oh, I savor it. But don't you love that feeling when you've invited a couple into your home and you know they're struggling in their marital relationship and you've carved out two or three hours to listen to them and ask good open-ended questions. And at the end of the evening, although you haven't solved all the issues, you know that God has done a work. And when you say goodbye to them, as they walk out, you have this amazing feeling of satisfaction. You know what? God used us to help them work through some issues that are holding them back. I hope you've had that feeling from time to time. It is awfully satisfying. Or I love that feeling that a small group leader feels when he or she has facilitated a group well. And believers come together and crack their Bibles open and you gather around the word of God and you've invited the spirit of God to be your teacher. And that small group leader, she or he facilitates that well and keeps everybody on track and helps answer some questions or guide people to the answers. And people are allowed to share and there's prayer that goes on. And at the end of the evening, you know one thing, God has been in the house and people are blessed. I want to tell you that feeling to me is indescribable or that feeling that you feel when you serve at that homeless shelter and you see the gratitude on the faces of these dear people who pretty much live on the streets most of the day and they don't have anything and you've served them in Jesus' name. You've served them kindly and with love, and that feeling of satisfaction when you walk away, knowing God has used you to make a difference. I mean, come on. That is amazing. We are not putting down any of that, but, but Jesus said there's something better. There's something even better than those temporary rewards that you get right here and now, and that is the blessedness, the rewards of heaven. They don't come now, but they are connected to what you do now. Now, folks, I don't hit you with too many Greek words because I don't want things to get too technical. But in this particular instance, I think it's important we understand that there are two primary Greek words that are commonly, commonly translated as reward, recompense, reimbursement, wages, or payback. These are various translations that are given depending on the context. One of those words is apodidomai. It has a prefix, apo, which means back in Greek, didomai, which means to give. Apodidomai means to give back or to repay. That's the word used here in Luke 14. But let me give you another example of where that word apodidomai is used as a reimbursement. You, you would find it in the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story, right? It's one of our favorites. Guy beaten up on the side of the road, a couple of religious leaders come along. They ignore him. The guy you'd never expect to help, the Samaritan, comes along, takes care of the man, bandages up his wounds, takes him to a local inn. And then he says in verse 35 of Luke 10, he says to the innkeeper here, look after him. And when I return, watch this word now, I will 
reimburse. That's the word apodidomai. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I will pay you back. And God says, I want to reward you for certain things that you do while you're living for me on this planet. I want to pay you back. And it's not just for huge things or sacrificial things like the Good Samaritan did for this guy. It's even for little things. For instance, consider what Jesus said in Mark 9, 41. I tell you the truth. Anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ will certainly not lose his reward. God notices the big things. God notices the little things. But here's where that second Greek word comes in. Apodidomai. But then the word used there in Mark 9, 41 is the word misthos. It's a different word, but it's kind of translated the same way as reward. Jesus said in Luke 6, he said, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward. That's the word misthos. So I hope you're seeing these words are used rather interchangeably. They essentially mean the same thing. Sometimes misthos is even translated as wages. But here's the message that is crystal clear. When you labor on earth for God, there's a reward coming. I hope that makes you happy. That makes me happy. And I'll tell you, when I first learned that, it was a game changer for me. It's not just a charitable tip. It's not a plaque for 20 years of faithful service. God says, I am going to pay you back for the big things. I'm going to pay you back for the little things. Two words used, apodidomai and misthos. Now, here's the question I had as I, as I studied this week. Wouldn't it be cool if Jesus gave us a list? I want to see the list, man. I'm pretty practical. I want to see the list because I don't want to waste time on things that aren't going to get rewards. Sorry. I'm just practical in that way. I want to see the list of all the things Jesus said we're going to get rewarded for, but there's no such list. So I made the list, okay? And I'm going to show you my list. Now, you can come up with your own list if you want to, but I didn't do the Old Testament. If, we, if I did the Old Testament, we'd be here for a week. It is so filled with things that we're rewarded for. I just stayed in the New Testament, and I want to show you my list. It started off a lot longer, but I kept paring it down and knocking off ones that I felt were overlapping. These, I believe, are distinctive categories of things the Bible says that God is going to reward us for. So here we go, real quick. Here's the list. I'm going to let Scripture speak for itself. I'm going to really apologize in advance. I'm going to kind of rush through this. I'm going to make very little commentary, but I will say just a few things. One, persecution for Christ. You get rewarded for that. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you for my sake. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I talked to a guy this week 
a leader in our area, a guy I respect, and he shared with me some of the insults he's receiving for standing up for Jesus Christ. And if I shared them with, I don't, I don't have his permission to do so, but if I shared these with you, you would be staggered by some of the things he's going through simply because of his identification with Christ. And I looked him in the eye and I said, brother, according to Jesus, since you are being insulted and persecuted and all kinds of evil set against you for his sake, great is your reward in heaven. I can't solve it for you. I can't make these people stop, but I can at least point you, great is your reward in heaven. The second category is sacrifices made for Christ. Sacrifices for Christ. Look at this. Ooh, I like this verse because I'm an alien up here in Albany, New York, and I have left some of these things. And everyone who has left houses or brothers, I left three of them, or sisters, I left three of those as well, father, mother, children, or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much. Woo! And will inherit eternal life. Now, people read that and go, wow, well, uh, that must be talking about the brothers and sisters you get in the, in the church family, right? Yeah, it could be that. The moms and dads, the, the spiritual children that you have from people you've led to Christ and that you're helping disciple because they're like spiritual kids for you, right? Well, it could mean that, but I think the clear meaning here is primarily that there's going to be rewards in heaven. And Jesus wants us to be clear on this. You will never, ever sacrifice anything for me that I do not pay you back at least a hundred times as much. I find that unbelievably encouraging. Here's another category, secret prayer and fasting. Jesus said quite a bit about this. Look at what he said in Matthew chapter six. And when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then look at this passage about fasting. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that you will not be, it will not be obvious to people that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Some years ago, there was a dear lady in our church here, she was in her 90s, one of the godliest people I've ever known, beloved by everyone who knew her, and boy, she was a minister for Jesus Christ. I mean, she just got involved. She was involved in so many things. She came to a lot of things that went on here at the church, <laughs> but her body became frail, and she had trouble walking. And so she literally apologized to me one day out, and I couldn't believe she apologized. She said, Pastor, I just can't be involved in serving as much anymore. And I said, Lord, that, that's no problem. Everybody understands that. God certainly knows. And I said, called her by name. I said, can you pray? She said, I pray for you every single day. I said, oh, that touches me. She said, I pray for this church every single day. And I said, according to Jesus, your father who sees what is done in secret is going to reward you. Now, this next one may surprise you, 
But this is one of those distinctive categories that I read in Scripture where we're going to be rewarded, and that is loving your enemy. You got any enemies? You don't live long on this planet without collecting some enemies, I'm telling you. I mean, there's going to be some people who just don't like you. They don't like what you stand for, and, and they would technically be enemies. Guess what the Bible says about that? But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And notice what happens. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be sons and daughters of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Literally, God sees our behavior toward even our enemies, and he says, I will reward you when you show kindness to them. Here's the next category, generosity. Now, we could go on for hours on this one, so much is said in the Bible, Old and New Testament. But look at what this says. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, some people read that about this not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, and they conclude this, and I think this is a bad conclusion. They think, if anybody knows what I gave, or if anybody says thank you to me for giving, I just lost my entire reward. That's not what this is saying. Listen closely. God is not against you getting thanked for giving. God has no problem with somebody saying thank you for a gift you give. What God has a problem with is you giving with the motive in order to get noticed. So you can be a big muckety-muck, so you can get special favor, etc. That's the thing God has a problem with. So getting recognized for giving is no problem at all. But your heart, there's where the left hand knowing what you're not giving with some motive to get recognized or special favor. God has a big problem with that. Or how about this passage? Talking to people in the church who have resources. Paul says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So the message in the Bible is clear when it comes to generosity. Guess what? You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And when you give generously, you're literally, literally, according to these passages, laying up treasure in heaven. Here's another one. This will stun some of you giving a good day's work for your employer. So many passages speak to this. How about Colossians chapter three? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for people. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Listen, some of you hate your boss, and I don't blame you. She's nasty to you. He undermines you. He doesn't give a rip about you. Some, some of you have supervisors like that. I don't blame you for not liking them. But are you a Christ follower? Scripture says you need to get this mindset, I'm really working for my real supervisor. 
Jesus is his name. And scripture tells me that when I work at it with all my heart, as for him, I got another paycheck coming that's a lot greater than the one that gets deposited in my bank account down here. You give a good day's work, you work for the Lord. And Ephesians 6, 7 and 8 says the same thing, basically, that when you serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he or she does. I don't know about you, but to me, these kinds of things are game changers for me. They change my whole mindset about the way I live my life. But there's just two more real quick. Another category is meeting practical needs in the name of Christ. Now, earlier we looked at the giving a cup of cold water. That's Mark 9, 41, great little verse. Even if you give a cup of cold water in his name, you're not gonna lose your reward. And I think about some of the practical needs that many of you meet. Some of you regularly serve in homeless shelters, providing meals and practical needs for people in Jesus' name. Uh, some of you are parents, and you're changing diapers and cleaning up messes and doing loads of laundry and uh, wiping noses. <laughs> you, you are meeting practical needs. I want you to know that Jesus doesn't miss a single thing you do. Some of you serve in caring professions. And although it is difficult at times to keep showing kindness to people who tend to be obnoxious, when you keep coming back and meeting practical needs, trust me, God sees everything you do. Not just the grand things, but the little things as well. And then there's one final category I felt I should throw in here, and that is seeking God. There's actually a reward promised to those who really seek God with earnest hearts. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it's impossible to please him, that is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. I'm gonna come back to that word later. Please note that word rewarder. It's a very special, very special word in this whole study of rewards. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. Now, there you have it. There's my little list that I just came up with. You can come up with a list of your own. Trust me, I just left out dozens of verses where I felt there was overlap with these categories. I don't know about you, but to me, that is a game changer. Now, this has been my experience through the years whenever this topic comes up. I've seen relatively new Christians hear about rewards in heaven and I've seen their eyes light up. It is very motivational, I think, for most Christians. In fact, I've seen Christians brought to tears. They're so grateful when they realize that their loving father actually wants to reward them. But let's keep it real. I've also gotten a little pushback on this idea through the years. First of all, there's a little bit of passive pushback. Christians will kind of say, oh, shucks, uh, I, I pastor, I hear you, all this stuff about rewards in heaven, but I don't really deserve anything. Well, we could probably say amen to that if we re realize that even our next breath is only by the grace of God, amen? 
So in that sense, nobody deserves anything. Everything we have, life itself, is a gift from God. So I'll agree with you on that. And then I've heard statements like this. Oh, pastor, I appreciate all this talk about rewards, but as long as Jesus is there, that'll be heaven for me. And again, I want to say amen to that, right? I mean, I can sleep in a a little bunk over in the corner as long as Jesus is there, as long as it's heaven, who needs anything else, right? So we could all say amen to that. But hang on if those are your responses. I've also heard some more aggressive responses to this through the years. I've heard people refer to Matthew chapter 20. Have you read it? It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Real quick, some are hired early in the morning and they agree to work a whole day for a denarius. That's a fair wage for a worker in that day. Others are hired later in the day. They don't work as long, but they also get in on the owner's vineyard. And then he keeps hiring men throughout the day. And finally, at the end of the day, with only one hour remaining to work, he still is hiring workers. And so pay time comes. Now, in that day, you got paid at the end of every day. There was no week delay. There was no two-week delay. You get paid at the end of the day because you need it. You got to go buy food. You got to have that money. So the guys who worked only an hour get a denarius. At this point, the guys who started early in the morning, they light up. They're going, woo, this is awesome. If they get a denarius, What are we going to get? Baby, it's going to be steak and ale tonight for us. This is a great day. And then they're ticked when they get the exact same pay as the guys who worked only a fraction of the day they worked. They're angry with the owner, and they complain against him. And the owner essentially says, look, Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Now, I've heard some Bible students take that story and use it as a template or use it as a trump card for dozens of other passages that talk about rewards. And they say, no, no, we shouldn't expect anything. to. Everybody's going to get exactly the same thing. I would simply call that irresponsible hermeneutics. You can't let one passage trump literally dozens of passages that teach about rewards in heaven, and many of them showing different degrees of reward, okay? So what I hope we can all agree on is this. Number one, Every good thing we have or watch now or ever will have is by the grace of God. Can I get an amen to that? Every good thing we have or ever will have is by the grace of God. And I hope we can also get an amen to this, that our sovereign God, the owner of the vineyard, the owner of everything, our sovereign God has the prerogative to do what he wants with what is his. Can we get an amen to that? Amen. Thank you so much. I agree with that. Now, as we close today, I just want you to be encouraged. Because here's what I know. It's easy to get discouraged in the Christian life. 
And the one thing that really just pumps me up about this study on rewards is that Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, says that our God, Hebrews eleven six 6, says that he is a rewarder of those who seek it. Now, you remember the two Greek words I shared earlier? Mistos and apodidomai? Guess what? God inspired the writer of Hebrews to put both of those words together. It's the only time in the entire Bible where those two words are together in one word describing a being or a person. And guess who it describes? Our great God. He is a rewarder, it says. It's his very nature. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. The only place in the Bible that that is used to describe a person or a being. I want you to be encouraged today. I want you to know that your labor in the Lord for our great super duper rewarder, our Father in heaven, it is not in vain. Many years ago, I first heard this story about a missionary couple from the UK who had been serving for many years a remote tribe far, far from their home. They had struggled. Quite frankly, it wasn't easy. They had very little to live on. Although they got support from the people back in the UK, it, it just never was enough. But they kept praying. They kept serving faithfully. They kept getting closer as husband and wife, and they kept trusting in God to bring fruit out of their labors. But frankly, there was very little visible fruit. And finally, after 40 years of faithful service, they wrote to all of their people back home, all of their supporters, and said, well, we're coming home for good. We feel that our time here is done. And after 40 years, they sailed back to England. And as they approached their country's coastline, seeing it for the first time in decades, it was a moving moment for them. The man turned to his wife and said, I wonder if there will be anyone here to welcome us home. And as the ship maneuvered into Plymouth Harbor, this elderly couple, they're standing up on the upper deck holding hands, and their wrinkled skin told the tale of years of toil and hardship. And yet their eyes were filled with wonder and gratitude as they saw throngs of people crowded onto the dock, cheering and pointing in their direction. And as a band played joyful music, banners were hoisted into the air that said, welcome home, we're proud of you. Tears were in the man's eyes as he turned to his wife and said, isn't this wonderful? She said, it is wonderful indeed. And they just kept drinking in that scene of all this joyful celebration and people saying, welcome home. We're proud of you. And then they decided it was time to go down below deck and collect their luggage. And as they emerged onto the gangplank, their hearts brimming with expectation, they saw the crowd had already begun to disperse. And then it hit them. The welcome was not for them at all, but for a popular politician who was returning from some foreign success. And the husband couldn't hide his disappointment. He turned to his wife and said, this isn't 
much of a welcome for a lifetime of service. She took his arm and said, come along, sweetheart. This is just England. We're not home yet. And some of you are feeling discouraged. You've given your best years to share the gospel and to help people in need, and you've prayed, and you've poured out and poured out, and you've given sacrificially, and you've led people, and you've wooed people, and you've shared the gospel, and you've helped the hurting year after year after year, and frankly, frankly, you've been disappointed because there seems to be so little reward for what you've done. I simply remind you, You're not home yet. Great is your reward in heaven. Father, to me, what you've told us about the rewards to come is just a game changer. I pray for all of us who are feeling discouraged in the work like there's not a lot of reward, not a lot of payback, not a lot of appreciation. Help us to remember that we're not home yet. Father, help us to live with our eyes riveted on eternity, with eternity in view, living each day by the power of the Spirit. Thank you for your word. It steadies us. It anchors us, it informs us, and it gives us hope to keep on keeping on. We're so grateful. And we pray in Jesus' powerful name, amen, amen.